Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the PBSC podcast. It's great to be with all of you. We are Mark Castleman and myself, Steve Moore, are coming at you here. Excited to be with you today. Uh, we've got a great uh, episode here for episode 178. Kind of a cool topic. Um, I had a great question come in, and we liked the. There's a series of questions that were tied to the submission, but we liked the the main question so much we just copied it and used it as the title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a statute of limitations on on betrayal trauma? Now that's a it's a really good point to bring up, um, and there's a lot more to it than that. So before we jump into it too much, we're gonna uh, we're not gonna read the whole submission. It is quite long, but we are gonna read a few bullet points that we took down and give you kind of a basic outline of the scenario. This came from a spouse, um, referring to her herself and her current relationship, and then we wanted to just kind of break this down in kind of a casual manner, Mark and I, and and walk through the the series of questions that she has at the end. And so uh, with that, we'll all go ahead and I'll kind of read through these and we'll we'll dive right into it because there's lots of good stuff here. So this is a couple that has been married for five years, roughly. Uh, porn was an issue prior to the marriage, she says. She describes that about a year, about a year in, she did find him using it again. Um, and they uh, discussed it. He committed to not using it anymore. He said, you know, he was done. And she kind of considered it resolved at that point. However, and this is important, um, she didn't realize at the time, but looking back, she, she that's where she identifies she really felt some serious betrayal trauma at that point in time. But she didn't know what betrayal trauma was. Like many of, of those who are probably listening to this, she wasn't aware of the concept of sex addiction or compulsion or betrayal and how that works. And so she kind of subliminated it, kind of, kind of uh, you know, shoved it under the surface. But she found that over the years, it did affect her quite a bit. Um, and that kind of came to a head. What kind of brought this all to a head was about a month ago, uh, she caught him watching videos on various media platforms, even though he'd agreed not to. So YouTube and that kind of thing. And and uh, even though he did not consider the videos to be problematic, she definitely classified them as what she would call soft porn. 
uh, definitely seeking after, you know, some sort of an arousal um, element, um, looking at, you know, stuff that is really edging and pushing the boundary, uh, you know, sexually satisfying type material. And when she confronted him about it, he said, uh, you know, okay, you know, you, you caught me. And turns out, he, you know, he'd been watching those for a while. And so they had a long discussion about it. Um, and for her, there, this kind of brought all of this prior, not just trauma in this second, not just trauma from this second occurrence was brought up, but her brain just kind of started to click all the links together about how she's been living in fear in a really dysfunctional way for quite a while. Uh, over the years, for example, since that first event, she's looked back and she's realized she hasn't really made many friends. Um, she doesn't make many friends. And as she put it, even the friends that she does make, she's really careful not to bring them around. Um, because she, you know, doesn't want something to happen with him being triggered somehow or something inappropriate happening. So she's been living in a pretty high state of hypervigilance. And uh, that's and and again, this, she didn't really notice all this till this came up to a head about a month ago. And then she and then she kind of concludes with that initial question, you know, is the is there a state of statute of limitations on betrayal trauma? And then she also said, Is it something we need to keep talking about? How do I know if I am okay now? And does everyone need to do a full disclosure? Because I'm not sure if I would even want to know. Mm. There's kind of a really good series of questions here. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked to tackle these. Well, and I really liked her question. Is there a statute of limitations? And I, yeah. in the title of our podcast, uh, actually, when we were, when you were talking, Steve, I added another word to the title. So now the title says, is there a statute of limitations on feelings, betrayal, trauma, and disclosure? Oh, good. Very good. Right. Yes. And this statute of limitations is a really important concept because I will tell you where I was at in my addiction. When I thought in my addiction, when I thought that, that we had, quote, moved past stuff, we had talked about it, we had we got it out on the table and addressed it, it's now in the past, right? And how many, how many infamous statements do we have in our culture, Right. Let sleeping dogs lie. The past is the past, right? To to forgive is to forget. I mean, I oh yeah, I can think of lots of them that that really, by their very nature, and what they overtly or subtly say is yes, there is a statute of limitations on you continuing to feel certain things or bring up baggage or keep going back to to pain or hurt or whatever. The culture says, yeah, there is a statute. Yeah. Of limitations and the and the and the response to that is that's absolutely completely false. There is no statute of limitations, and here's why that's so important. And and me as a guy in recovery, I can I can remember not so long ago, if I had been listening to a podcast like this and I and two guys like us, I would have went, oh yeah, great crap. Here they're they're giving my partner permission to bring up everything from the past. Mm, Here yeah. we go, <laughs> and I can I can relate to that. And and why is and I think it's important to ask why is that such a big issue for us as as guys in recovery or guys in addiction? Let's be really vulnerable and authentic for a minute. Yeah, it's a good just, point to bring up. Just as the just as our partners bring up their pain from the past and their feelings and and revisit this stuff that also creates pain for us. Yes. I don't want to hear my wife revisit how I betrayed her and how I caused her pain and caused her to feel lonely and unloved and not, not attractive and comparing herself to all the women around her. I don't want to hear all that stuff regurgitated over and over again. It hurts. 
Mm. And if I'm going to be honest, you know, I, 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 I get angry and impatient and why do we have to revisit this? But what am I really feeling? I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling discomfort. I'm feeling awkward. I'm feeling embarrassed. You know, I'm feeling shame. And I don't go through that again as, as, as a guy in addiction or recovery. No, it's really true. And I think that there's also an understandable fear that, uh, that, uh, for, you know, for the addict or for the partner that, you know, I remember feeling this way that there's almost sometimes a feeling of kind of desperation mm-hmm. for us addicts of like, oh my gosh, we're never going to be able to move on. If we keep bringing this up, how will we ever move forward? Right. And, and there's I'd a have, whole, yeah, I'd, have, I'd have guys say, you know, a guy's 30 years old. We're going to be talking about this when we're 70. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and that's a whole, and there's a whole other kind of side discussion. Maybe we'll have to look at a podcast another day of, of accountability versus apologizing over and over because they are definitely different. Yes. Um, that's something that we can talk about another time, but, but, uh, but, uh, but, you know, those, those fears are understandable. However, uh, it is important to, to know, you know, that these, these questions, they do have validity. Um, because when you, when you're looking at things like betrayal trauma, you know, which is trauma, when you're looking at a person's emotions, um, those things don't carry an expiration date, contrary to what, you know, society would, would tell us. Um, we, one of the first rules that we talk about, you know, and, you know, we actually, it's interesting. We're working on, uh, this month in dare to connect in our, uh, program for addict spouses and couples. Uh, we, we do a monthly theme every month in, in the program. And this month is codependency versus toxic independence versus healthy interdependence. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of talking about the whole spectrum of connection. And today we were talking about and got kind of in depth into the traumatic origins of of uh, you know codependency and how much of people's codependency, although not all, oftentimes has roots in some form of one form of trauma or another. And whenever you're talking about trauma, betrayal or otherwise, first rule of trauma work is that well, one, trauma is the eye in the eye of the beholder, but two, there isn't a time limit to trauma, right? The brain does not, there's that, uh, what's the, what's that phrase? Time heals all wounds. Yes. No, it does. It most definitely does not. <laughs> not by itself. No way. No, we don't. We may acclimate to pain if just given enough time, we may become more used to it. But like Mark said, if there are not other ingredients involved in that process, Right, even though we may become more used to it or adjusted to it, um, time doesn't heal all wounds. And in well, some cases, in fact, when it when it comes to secrecy or lack of transparency, time can actually make trauma worse. That's a great point. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound probably sound crazy to a lot of people listening, but if we if we really understand trauma and what it means to heal. And what it means to really start to uh, come together to connect and be really intimate and close. We don't want a statute of limitations on feelings, betrayal, trauma, or disclosure. If we really understand healing and connection and being intimate and collaborative and coming together as a couple, we're not going to want that statute of limitations. Why? Because if somebody like this gal, if she's still if she's still feeling these quote old feelings bubbling back up, and and dominating you know parts of her of her current life, what does that tell you? These are unresolved issues. These are areas of disconnection for the two of us. 
right? I could so yeah. relate. She said, I don't feel safe around him. I don't, I, I feel, I feel anxious around him, not other people, but, and then what do I hear in the background of her words? I don't feel like I quote measure up. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I could yeah, ever yeah. compare to what he's watching in those YouTube videos. And if, if he's a guy who really wants to have a close, connected, intimate, awesome relationship with this gal, he, he not only does he want, not want a statute of limitations on her feelings or her trauma or him disclosing, he actually wants to be leaning in and inviting her to share with him what's still there. Obviously, yeah. this is stuff that's still hurting you. Obviously, you're still in pain. And because I care about you and I love you, what I'm hearing as you're expressing this, all of this, instead of being a pain in my backside, bringing up stuff from the past, I'm recognizing that you're making a bid for connection. You're asking me to lean in and move towards you and help you process this. So if I'm a healthy guy and I'm really working my recovery and my healthy relationship skills, I'm going to take this as an invitation, not a pain in the butt to be, to be avoided and shut down. Yes. Well, and that, and then you, and you mentioned those skills, which are so important, right? It behooves us as addicts in recovery. One of the many, many elements that we're, we're needing to work on, right? Is separating our own self-perception from the reality of other people, working on our shame issues, uh, being able to see ourselves in a balance, right? Of the things we need to be accountable for, as well as the good things that are brought to the table. Those sound like really simple characteristics of, of the average person. But what I just listed off, those three characteristics right there are probably the hardest things for an addict. To oh do. my gosh. Because what would happen when, when, our, when our partners would bring up stuff from the past, when you, as you and I were in, you know, beginning and midterm recovery, the shame would just pour out on us. Oh, here we oh, yeah. go. Again. I'm a loser. I'm a piece of crap. And not, and not just that part, but, but legitimate, legitimate, painful feeling in your heart. I hurt this woman. Yeah, that toxic I, mix of yeah. guilt and shame. Yeah, yeah guilt and shame. I, I cause damage to this person I love more than anybody in the world. And I don't, I don't want to have that dagger in my heart over and over and over again. So it's normal for us to try to move away from that. But I'm hearing in the, as, as, this, as this gal shared what she's feeling, she's got some major things that are preventing her from being whole, from yes. being fully you know, happy and fulfilled and connected in her life. And I would hope that this guy would want to know about these things so that he can do his part to, to lean in and help her heal. Yeah. I don't, I don't want a fractured, incomplete um, partner that, that is carrying this, you know, this private pain and toxicity and load. I don't want her to bear all that alone. If I can be a part of this process to heal and come together, I want to. Yes, absolutely. Well, and there, and she, you know, these, this series of questions that she's got is important. You know, if we look at some of her next questions, right? So she talks about the statute of limitations on betrayal trauma. And then she says, is this something we need to keep, need to keep? And she put it this way, forcefully talking about Mm, it. I thought that was an interesting wording. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting way of wording that. And kind of what that means to me, we're obviously interpreting a little here, but that means that these are probably not super fun discussions, right? Yeah. Probably, probably things that she's bringing up less than him, and and what we would definitely say to that is is something that we should keep talking about. Absolutely, it kind of goes along with what Mark is saying, right? Trauma is some, you know, the hurts, the wounds that we carry, 
you know, here on the podcast, you know, in our individual clinics, uh, on, on our dare to connect program, you know, for addict spouses and couples. I mean, that's our full-time job is helping couples to find connection with themselves, uh, with their partner and with those around them. And one of the elements of that is learning how to connect over hard things, right? We, we are wired in our culture. One of the things that we fight against so much in D2C, for example, is this idea that connection only happens around positive stuff. Yeah. You know, if we have good experiences or if we're having, if we're having fun, quote unquote, right? Like if it's, if it's enjoyable that that's where we find connection and, and that is absolutely not the case, nor do we only find connection through consensus. Uh, we talk every day and dare to connect about how to, how to find connection, in the difficult and the hard and, and how oftentimes not only can you find connection there, but that's where real gains in the relationship are realized, right? It's during, during that storming phase where we make changes, where we make new resolutions, new commitments. And so, yes, leaning into conversations like that and learning how to do those, both as the addict, learning how to manage and process through shame and translate that into healthy accountability, and also for a spouse to be able to clearly identify what are the things that I need from this conversation so that those conversations are productive and that they don't become you know, never ending and just repeating over and over with no progress, right? Those are all critical skills in a relationship to building cohesion, to building out the trust, to, to owning the past so that we can move forward with our, with our future. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she asks a very, very important question. How do I know if I'm okay now? Mm, Right. Cause here's what, what happens to us? I, I could so I could so um, feel her words, but also I got a glimpse into his side as well. I mean, I don't know all the particulars, but it sounds like he was honest with her about his pornography use prior to their relationship. And if that's true, good for him for being authentic. He, it, it also sounds like when he kind of was back into that pornography about a year into their relationship, she confronted him. And it sounds like he did at least some things to come out of yeah. that pornography use. And it sounds like it, it went, I'm, I'm guessing, sort of okay for about four years. But now he's slipping back into, you know, the, the fringe, the fringe behaviors, the edgy behaviors, you know, not quite jumping into the addiction funnel, but, but skirting, you know, just kind of sitting on the funnel with his legs hanging over the edge. And so... I, I hear in all that he's he's probably kind of gotten himself into a bit of a normalized, maybe a little bit of a complacent track. He's not doing full on big giant pornography and sexual addiction, but he's sort of skirting in the edgy behaviors. And he's sort of gotten into a little bit of a lax attitude about that. And then what yeah. she's saying is, I thought I was okay because I just sort of I just sort of settled into how things were and just figured it's a part of life. And I think I managed it all right. I just kind of coped. Yeah. They're both finding out that that probably wasn't true. Well, and it could be. And again, we're, we are conjecturing here a little bit, but it's pretty common for spouses and par- for addicts and spouses that, you know, before they come to our dare to connect program, before they come to our office, before they, they hit therapy or 12 step group or whatever, um, it's pretty common to think recovery is something that it's really not right. I mean, I'm, I mean, I know, I, I know I did this when I, when I heard the term recovery before, I mean, my goal when I got into recovery was just to quit my sexual behaviors that were dysfunctional. Yep. 
right? With porn and sex. That, that was my goal. And I learned really quickly that real recovery means working on and figuring out the issues that are the actual actual problems which are leading to many symptoms, some of which are are coming out in a sexual a sexual way, excuse me. And so my responsibility, right, is to is to make a complete and full recovery, which involves a full, it's a lifestyle shift, right? It's a it's a change in thinking. It's it's healing on the emotional spectrum, not just curbing behaviors or learning how to develop better tools for not acting out. It's about getting at, down underneath the the roots of things uh, that takes a guy who is married to a fun wife that he loves and cares about and 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 is in a committed relationship and causes him to put so much at risk, right? Professionally, personally, in the marriage, otherwise, uh, what are the what's the return? What what is his brain? What is his body? What does his body do a degree? But mostly, what is his brain? What is his spirit? What is his heart getting from that? And, well, and this and, uh, this this point came up in our in our D to C or Dare to Connect. We do uh, facilitated twelve step support groups on Sundays that Steve and I facilitate personally. Yeah, yeah. And this whole thing came up with our with the addicts that I was with yesterday in our support session, and they said, you know, I really thought that once I got sober and stopped engaging in these you know sexual acting out or pornography, that my life would be good to go. Just get yeah. sober and you're 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 good to go. And they said, "Holy smokes, what I wrong about that?" Suddenly, yeah. we often say in recovery, "Wow, I got sober and thought my life would be just let's go forward, all's great." And all of a sudden, all this crap starts pouring in on me. It almost yeah. like it, it suddenly gets worse than better. And what we talked about in our group yesterday was when we're in addiction, in in any level. And then, and that's on a spectrum from these edgy behaviors, these, these sort of dip your toe behaviors to full on, you know, sexual addiction, acting out that creates a wall. Think of a wall right in front of your face, that your face is pressed up against this brick wall. What does it do? It prevents us from seeing all of the other personal and relationship work that needs to be done. We can't mm. get to that deeper work until we remove the wall of our acting out in those behaviors till we get some sobriety. But once you do now, all this stuff starts showing up and you're like, what is going on? I'm sober. I thought I would be, everything would be perfect. <laughs> mm. Now all these layers are coming and I'm, I'm having to deal with all these issues. And the reason being we avoided all those issues through addiction. Every time life got hard, every time we could face, you know, different parts of ourselves that needed to be worked on, we would avoid an escape and go self-soothe. Now, yeah. when we stop doing that, we get to work on life and our relationship. Yeah. And that's where these two people are right now, if they can see it. Yeah. The question, you know, that she asked next, and where I know we got to wrap up here pretty quick, but how do I know if I'm okay now? I mean, that's a really mm. difficult question to answer. And, and, and the term, I think, okay in this business is kind of a relative one. Yeah. Right. Recovery for both an addict, but also for a partner is usually not linear. And what we mean by that is you have, sometimes it's kind of a battle of two steps forward, one step back. Uh -huh. right? um, but what we're progressively wanting to move towards and, and, and what we're looking for is, is to, and she says she resonated with this because we said it on an earlier podcast is, is her getting to that point where I don't quote unquote need the relationship, which in turn allows me to choose it. Mm. Right. Where I'm in a place where I'm emotionally and, and and mentally independent enough from him and his actions that even though what he does and doesn't do in a relationship, they'll always affect me. 
I can find worth and value in in myself. I can break out of that codependent element and sufficiently enough that I can be happy regardless of what he chooses to do. And so that's that's going to be kind of that litmus test that we're shooting for, but that's not an exact science. That takes a long time. And and I don't know that anybody ever truly stays there all the time because we're all human with weaknesses and insecurities, yeah. et cetera. Well, and, she, and I love okay, that. Am I okay? I love what you said, Steve. You know, can she, can she have her own internal homeostasis, her own internal peace, her own internal balance, regardless of what he's doing or not doing. That's a big part of am I okay? Yeah. And is she gaining her confidence, being able to speak her truth, being able to hold boundaries, stand her ground, show up as an authentic person in the relationship? You know, that's another part of being okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, and then there is one last question, right? Does everyone need a full disclosure? Because I'm not sure if I would even want to know. Mm. And the answer to that, I think we would say is no, not necessarily. Um, Mark and I, as well as we would say anybody who has good training around how to do a formal disclosure, uh, will tell you that that the process should be led out primarily by the needs of the partner, by the betrayed. Um, That's why we do them. We don't do them for addicts. They, they, They oftentimes have a really positive benefit on an addict's recovery as they make progress in working on the pieces and the, and the components tied to giving a full disclosure. But we, that's something we usually recommend. You, you know, you work out one-on-one with a therapist, giving your own individual situation. And it should be noted that there are many steps on the spectrum between no disclosure and a formal disclosure. Yes. um, There are options to looking, looking to that. Um, So just something to kind of consider. Um, well, and the other part is, and, and please be careful all of you listening, when we say a disclosure is really for the partner and she gets to decide what she wants to know and what she doesn't, that does not excuse the addict in recovery from disclosure. He should no. be working through all of those things with his 12-step group, with a sponsor, with a therapist. Everything from his past should be laid out on the table with someone in a very formal process. Now, how much his partner wants to be involved in that and how much she wants to know is up to her, mm-hmm. but please don't mishear us when, Oh, my, my partner doesn't want a disclosure. So I don't need to process and put all that stuff out on the table. We're good. No, that's not what we're saying. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, there's so, there's so much more to say about this as always uh, podcasts are always kind of a restricted environment. We can only cover so much, but we do as always, value the questions that you guys submit to us. We appreciate your trust in us and giving you informed answers to some really difficult questions surrounding sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma, and, and the like. Uh, we so appreciate all of you. Our podcast actually just got just got an email within the last minute and a half, actually. Um, we just hit 500,000 downloads, half a million oh, wow. downloads uh, with the podcast. Uh, wow. Pretty major milestone for us, especially about a podcast around this topic. <laughs> this is this is not exactly the joe rogan show so uh we just appreciate all of you and your patronage if you would like to take recovery and healing to the next level we as always would lovingly invite you to if you like what you hear on the podcast you like mark and i style you like our approach to things then you will love the dare to connect program um we are offering still a free two-week trial on that we continue to grow by leaps and bounds we have some major components to the program that we're in the process of adding we'll give you more updates on those as they come along we would love to have you come join us. You can find more information about that as well as the free trial at, P- at uh, excuse me, uh, daretoconnectnow.com. And as always, you're welcome to submit uh, questions that you may have that you'd like us to address, albeit probably not as long as you'd like us to, um, on the <laughs> podcast at uh, pbscpodcast.com. There's a contact form right down at the bottom. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for being with us. 
Uh, we hope all of you have a, a great day, a great week. And, uh, you know, find, uh, find those connections, find that inner peace, find uh, your, your authentic selves in any way you can. And we'll look forward to connecting up with you, all of you next time. Awesome. Take care, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.